All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. We're back here, second hour. We have Heather McDonald coming up. She's got a brand new book out. Uh, you can pre-order on Monday called When Race Trumps Merit, How the Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellence, Destroys Beauty, and Threatens Lives. She's always been great from the Manhattan Institute on these uh, equity issues, the policing issues. So we'll visit with her on Tyree Nichols and some of the, uh, well, you know, the new black cop white supremacy. That's the new fangled thing this week. Dave Simons will join us in the next hour, the host of KMOX's Dollars and Cents show. We'll talk about the market and inflation and things along those lines. Uh, Will Scharf is one of the new candidates for attorney general. He's going to run for the Republican nomination for Missouri attorney general. He's going to join us in the five o'clock hour. I have some, I have a really good, Fred, I don't even know if I told you, I have a great cut of the day today that is non-political. No. Ooh, my favorite. It, it's going to mix, um, here's my tease. You ready? Yep. I don't know how we're going to do this, but I, I've, I've heard it. So I, it's going to mix baseball with lingerie. Oh, I'm intrigued. I, Fred. Oh, I don't know about I you. know what it is. It's yeah. a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. It is it? a good one. Dang it. I don't know it. Uh, you have to wait and find out. Ugh. You'll have to wait and find out. We saw this thing. Did you look this up with the millennials, Sue? Oh, that we yeah, saw on I was Fox? Gonna, and then I didn't. So there was, uh, what was it, 40%? 40%. Uh, of millennials. What years? What, were, are... what were they saying? They were basically saying uh, parents still pay their bills, right? Right. And it didn't say all the bills, but it said... You know, bills in general. I had not. Had you seen that anywhere? Oh, here it is. It came up right away from thehill.com in a new survey. Now, wait, who are millennials? That's Let's what I looked up. Define that. Can okay, here we go. Is? A research probably early 1980s, starting birth years and the mid 90s to the early 2000s as ending birth years. So through the mid 2000s. So then what's... 1981 Gen- to you know, whatever. That doesn't sound right. That's wrong. I'm a Gen Z technically. Right. This is where and I get I'm confused. And I'm 98. Okay. All right. I'm trying again. Google sometimes well, okay, fails but me. But here's what it says. This is why I'm confused because it would make more sense if it's Gen Z as far as what the story is. In a new survey, two-fifths... Two-fifths. How often do you hear right, that one? Not <laughs> often. There's a bank that doesn't want bank to have three-fifths yes. okay. in it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. You're right. Yeah. And you know what? I promise that I would never bank because that's the <laughs> dumbest name of a bank ever. Now, there's some history to it, I think, in Pittsburgh, where they're yeah, from. Yeah, where they're from. Okay. And none of us know. Dumbest name ever. I, I swear to God, every time I saw that bank, I'm like, that is the most ridiculous name. Two, can someone okay. break down okay. two-fifths, first of all? What no, is that? No can one you make can. it simpler? Millennials born 1981 to 1990. Okay, so this doesn't make sense then because the survey says two f- <laughs> I can't say that without two laughing. Two fifths of millennials say their parents still pick up one or mm-hmm. more of their monthly bills. Mm-hmm. And the most 
common parent subsidy is housing. 24 this can't be right. 24% of millennials say mom and dad pay their rent. 17% say that the parents cover a mortgage. Smaller wow, shares. Mortgage. Are, Holy yeah. cow. Well, I should have just read on down here because it does say smaller shares of the 26 to 41 year old demographic reported parental help with groceries, 22%. Utility bills, 19%. Auto insurance, 18%. Car payments, 16%. Streaming services, 12%. Kimberly Palmer. A personal expert at NerdWallet, financial expert, says it's just really expensive to be a young person right now. Well, that if might you be were true. Born in 1996, but... 06, 16, 26. So you're in your 20s. That's well, how my good son I was born in 1997, and he's uh, about to be 26. Okay, well there right? you go. Yeah. Right so on? does that sound right to you, Fred? Your your you kids know, are are they in that? They they were born in 97 and 99. Okay. But, and I just figured out two fifths, forty percent. That's probably what forty percent is. Hello, forty percent. Yes. Well, it was in the headline, and I still didn't figure it out with two fifths, right? <laughs> well, you said two fifths instead. But doesn't that seem just to high? Annoy us. To, like that's yes, now, it does. Say, but but okay, that's I'm just, I'm subsidizing. Are I was going to say, Fred, your no. kids, no, well, your kids are like smart and successful. <laughs> and that's but they, they included Fred's like kids streaming Fred. services. What's that? Savvy? They had streaming services in there. Who who doesn't share their streaming services? Yeah, with is their that kids? counted? I Maybe. think yeah, it is. You read it, oh. so like yeah. it that skews it so much. I think if you took streaming services, I bet it would go down. Well, you know what? That's no, a good point. That's, no, not really, because if they broke it down into a different category, they they oh. that's what I said. They actually said in in the streaming service category, it was uh, real well, high, it was like twenty two percent or oh, something. Oh, okay. Like that. Well, I mean, I remember being, uh, uh, well, I, I can't remember how old I was, but my parents paid my car insurance until a certain point. I think I was still in my 20s. I think my dad carried it for two or three years. You know, I lived at home for a long time. Oh, yeah. I, but I, I paid all my own bills. Yeah. But I lived uh-huh. at home till I was, did right you pay, before I got married. But did you pay rent something? when you were living at home or not? No, I didn't. Okay, well, that, no, but that's, that's an advantage. That's, that's, some parents that's housing. Would, would require, mm-hmm. but some parents would require. I, look, yeah. you're going to live in my house. You're going to pay yeah. some rent or something like that. I can see that. Uh, but I, look, my kids, I do help them with. Now, my son, who's about to be 26, we finally got him off. <laughs> Sue knows, and I think Fred knows the details of this story. I'm not going to share, but got him off insurance because I was covering his car insurance. It would have been nice if he would have actually gotten his own insurance, and that became an issue. And then I got him off the cell phone. Now, I'm still paying the cell phone for the one who's the teacher in Columbia. So, Well, he hasn't been launched for an entire year yet, though. I mean, he's pretty fresh out there, correct? Yes, he is. So, he graduated. You're right. He graduated in May. So I'm not going to, you know, I, I let his brother... Um, float. Yeah, I was going to say something <laughs> really inappropriate, but... I, <laughs> float I is a nice term. Uh, all the things I really want to say that I probably shouldn't. So let me just shut up right now and do this. <laughs> These allegations are deeply concerning. Does the president have any comment? We're not going to comment. It's not clear messaging. No, 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 no. And now, Sue's News. Brought to you by Sue. I pre-ordered a phone today. Ooh. I don't often do that. What type? Well, I love my Galaxies. And the Galaxy S23 Plus came out. 
And I don't, I, mine is still a 20, so I'm three behind, doing 21, yeah. It's about time then. So I thought, you know, I think that's respectable. I, I've saved, you know, usually I do every two, and I thought, that's ridiculous. But then all I did was make it one more year, but uh, okay. But you pre-order them. So the release of that was yesterday. So in the Android world, we're all a Twitter. You could get the S23, the Plus, and the Ultra. The Ultra is the one with the pen, the stylus that lets you write. That's Ooh. too fancy for me, Fred. Yeah. What else does the, does yours have? Uh, mine is just a Plus, so it's a little bit longer. It's kind of pretty much the phone that I have here size, maybe a little bit less. But it's supposed to be able to take nice night photos. We'll mm. see if that actually works. Can, I'm you, sh- turn can on... you shoot a movie on it? I see those commercials yes, all the time. Yes, I can shoot a movie on it. Of course, the, then I would have no memory left. Yeah, the, the, the only Galaxy Envy I've ever had is just the 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 photo. The photos. Yeah, are the cameras darn have good. always been a little step ahead. Yeah. Um, now Apple does have the most recent phones have the technology for better nighttime photos. I don't know how good it is, but you guys, yeah, your side seems to have better um, experience with that. Yeah, you're right. They each has its little thing, and we can't like texts, which you all do on a consistent basis. Okay, but when we do that, do you get that? That's something I'm like. If I give I a get thumbs a message up, that said Mark Reardon gave a thumbs up oh, to blah blah, okay, I have to read it. I, I wasn't sure because yeah. I've done that to uh-huh. galaxy people, and it doesn't uh-huh. uh, stop me. Uh-uh. That's interesting. Yeah, you know, I I always I'm afraid to admit I have phone envy. Whenever I see people like taking pictures, their pictures yeah. always look better. What uh, than mine. what year is your phone from? What what have you got? It's an iPhone X, so I'm not sure what that is. What are we at now, uh, Mark Reardon? Fourteen. Fourteen. Wow. Yeah. When yeah. So you're you're only when four behind. That's iPhone. not horrible. Fred and I both have tens. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? 2017, Fred. I think you're due, though. Yeah. Yeah, you're That's probably like, due. 2017, 2018. Well, one of his it was right sons. at the end of 2017. Yep, I'll talk to my sons about See it. See what they can do for you. <laughs> uh, and today uh, in history, 136 years ago, in 1887, the first Groundhog Day was celebrated. I guess I didn't realize it went back that far. And, of course, you know, Puxatawney Phil saw his shadow, yeah, blah, blah, F blah. him, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> by the way. Rodent. I came home and uh, for a minute today and was watching. They are running a marathon of Bill Murray's Groundhog Day on one of these channels. It's just over and over and over again, which it's is kind of funny. One of the greatest movies. It of really all time. is. It really is. You know what? I was really kind of upset when I saw it in the theater because I thought it's the same thing over and over again. I want to see something new. I didn't quite I love that movie. You didn't so get it. Into it. Well, yeah. I get it, but I just didn't. You didn't buy see. Into it. I shouldn't have said it. You didn't appreciate it. That's yeah. what I'm. Andy McDowell wasn't it? Andy McDowell. Yeah, I yeah. like her. She's in there. And uh, what's his name, who we were just talking about on the David Letterman show? Come on, help me out. The cameraman. Oh, it'll come to me. Chris. Chris. Oh, oh Chris Elliott. Yeah, Chris yeah, Elliott was I, in I there. should remember that, yeah. You know, and, there's, there's a competing... Um, Groundhog, groundhog Day? Yeah, or well, a competing groundhog. Who is and it? And he, he didn't see a shadow. Is he in Jersey? Is yeah, that the one in Jersey? Yeah, the one in Jersey. He has a funnier, uh, kind of entertaining name because it's Jersey, although I can't remember what it is, Fred. That's all I've got. Nine years ago today, this is sad, but it was in 2014 that Philip Seymour Hoffman passed away in the middle of filming wow. Hunger Games. Mm, yeah. I just can't believe it was that long ago. He was only 46. He has an aunt and uncle who lives in this area. Oh, really? He's got a, he's got a son that's really good too. Oh, um, does he really? Yeah, oh, that's exciting. He was in. Uh, I'm gonna do this. 
Oh, boy. He, uh, I know. I should do this. Cooper Hoffman is his name. And he oh, was Cooper. in this movie that was out with, um, you know, I love that band, Haim. There was yeah. a pizza that was out, or pizza. There was a movie out called Licorice Pizza last year, and he was one of the stars of that. That's <laughs> why so I was thinking pizza. I'm hungry. Now <laughs> I'm starving. Okay. I don't know how that worked, but now, poof, instantly I'm hungry. Okay. I read this today. I could believe it. Oh, my parents watched Matlock night like nobody's business and if I catch it on a rerun I will watch oh, yeah. it for at least a little bit and you gotta love it well CBS is rebooting Matlock but they're having Kathy Bates as the new one oh. she is the new Matlock she's replacing Andy Griffith of course who's gone he passed away in 2012 here's the official synopsis after achieving success in her younger years, the brilliant septuagenarian Madeline Matlock rejoins the workforce at a prestigious law firm where she uses her unassuming demeanor and wily tactics to win cases and expose corruption from within. Isn't that interesting? You are awfully silent, Mark. I did li- I'm just going to tell you, I liked Matt. I didn't watch it religiously. I think it was on at a time when I was probably drinking a lot in my life, if I had to remember correctly. Mm, wasn't it fair. the 80s? Yeah, but it, I always yes. kind of liked it when it was on. Yeah, you know, me I, too. I liked the style I, of it. I always, I always picture, oh yeah, I loved it. Kathy Bates, yes or no? Oh, I think so. I, I think like, that's I like a good the word choice. septuagenarian. I did too. That's the, a good word. The fact that they but actually put it in there. I kind of think of Brad Young. As being a Matlock type. I could see him in the courtroom (laughs) being, you know, Andy Griffith. Uh, Well, it's going to, uh, the original Matlock, this is going to be on CBS. The original never ran on CBS. It aired on NBC. And that was 1986 to 1992. Then it finished its run on ABC. Netflix, we were talking about this just a minute ago. They're going to start cracking down on the passwords. Now we are finding out how they're going to do it because they sent the story out about they were going to start. But they only sort of are telling you. So in an updated FAQ, they said, quote, to ensure uninterrupted access to Netflix, connect to the Wi-Fi at your primary location, open the Netflix app or website, and watch something at least once every 31 days. This creates a trusted device so you can watch it even when you're away from your primary location, which means if you go out somewhere else, they're going to flag you. I don't know. I still am not sure how this is going to go. If you are out in a hotel room and you have to sign in, they will send you a temporary code. Because it could be someone else doing it. Hmm. Yeah, so it's a little bit tricky. If you wander outside of your normal area, they will try to figure out what happened and try to hunt you down and see if they can find out what's going on. That sounds too hard. It does, doesn't it? We'll see if it works. Now, if you have ever had trouble falling asleep... And Mark has been getting up early. I thought I dig you know this what, story though? out. And I, I had that period. I was getting up early the last <laughs> Sorry, week crowd. or so. I, yeah, the crowd didn't like that. Um, the last week or so, I've been able to sleep. I have no idea what's going on. I, I can't even kind of treat. Usually, there's like a pattern or something involved. I don't know. Yeah. Well, what's okay, going on. here's what they say. If you have trouble falling asleep, more and more research shows that thinking back on a happy memory could help. But you have to really try to put yourself there. It's called savoring. Now, the goal is to recreate the positive emotional state of experience in your mind. It can be any happy memory, but instead of just thinking about it, you've got to close your eyes and imagine yourself there. So if you were sitting on a beach in Aruba, you've got to sit on the beach in Aruba in your head and feel the sun on your face. You've got to hear the waves going. So if you are having trouble sleeping, see if you can wow. do that. that. That's pretty good. Isn't I mean, it? That, you got to just tape, yes. tape that for me, what you just said, because <laughs> that was pretty relaxing. 
Practice it during the day, it says, but be patient because it might be hard at first. And if you tend to lie in bed worrying about stuff, schedule 15 minutes of worrying time earlier in the day. And then when you go to bed, just sleep. Schedule worrying yes. time. Yes, yeah. that never occurred to me. Let me put me. that on my calendar. But what if it worked? Yes, so I do like nightly little meditations, and all the meditations always say like, "Let your mind go." Like, don't empty your thoughts. That's I can't do that. I just let my brain run as fast as it wants to that whole time, and then I kind of go to bed kind of that night. Uh, see, I get that. So schedule yourself some time to let your brain go nuts. I'm going to do that from about 5.15 to 6 tonight, just so you know. <laughs> it's my time. And finally, uh, in Sue's news, well, we'll go with this one. Billboard, the magazine, was originally a trade magazine for the actual billboard industry. And that was back in the 1890s. Then it evolved to cover the entertainment companies that bought lots <clears throat> bought lots of billboard ads, like circuses and stuff. And then eventually, by the 1930s, it just gave it up and went for music charts. Isn't that interesting? I would have liked to have seen it when it was just for billboards. <laughs> right? That is, actually, that is fascinating. It is. And, you know, Billboard magazine uh, is still re- relevant today. I mean, I yeah. just read, I read an article yesterday about something music-related on Billboard.com. Thank you, Sue. That wraps up Sue's News. Heather McDonald, who has a brand-new book coming out called When Race Trumps Merit. Coming up next on St. Louis's Home for Conservative Talk, 97.1 FM Talk. Catch anything you missed today by getting the show podcast at 971talk.com. I always screw that up with the Sue's News bed. You notice that? <laughs> Not always. Well, most of the time okay. I do. Thank you. I'm really good at that. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all-star closer kenley jansen we have a question what's the best podcast of all time Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact. So jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
It's almost Friday. We have a Reardon Roundtable tomorrow. Jane Duker, Chris Goodson, Jeff Smith all on the panel. Paul Hall with entertainment right around 425 and Kusumano on sports. You know, over the years, I've been a huge fan of Heather McDonald, her position on some of these policing issues. And she's got a brand new book that's going to come out very soon. I think you can pre-order it starting Monday when race trumps merit, how the pursuit of equity sacrifices excellence, destroys beauty and threatens lives. Heather McDonald, welcome back to 97.1 FM Talk. How are you this afternoon? Great. Thank you so much for having me on, Mark. I appreciate it. We're going to talk a little bit more about the book in a second, but obviously and I, I saw you on Fox on Friday night when the video gets released and everything. And, you know, one of the things that you cited in a recent column was what Van Jones wrote. And I saw this on Friday before even going home and watching the video where he said, it's time to move on to a more nuanced discussion of the way police violence endangers black lives. It's the race of the victims who's brutalized, not the race of the violent cop. That's the most relevant in determining whether racial bias is a factor in police violence. We're moving the goalposts there a little bit, aren't we? I'll say racism has become a totally non-falsifiable proposition. Uh, Now, I don't want to lean heavily on the fact that these officers were black as a way to rebut the racism allegation, because I never want to imply that if they had been white, the racism presumption was any more valid. It never is valid, absent evidence. So conservatives are sometimes wrong to say, well, wait a minute, they're black officers. How can it be racist? As if it's okay to say racism in the other case. But but in any case, he has now defined racism as anything bad that happens to a black person, regardless of intent, uh, regardless of the identity of the person doing it. Well, it's also important, I want to just kind of start from, from this premise also, that you heavily condemned the officers and, and their actions and what you saw in video, Heather, right? This incident is understandably raising questions about the state of policing in this country. Now, I think the answers that are being provided are completely wrong. They're in bad faith. Nobody actually intended to answer them accurately with data. Certainly the president has not intended so. But it is understandable that the public is deeply troubled by this because the the actions are not just brutal. They are a complete violation of best practices for making a car stop and for trying to subdue uh, a suspect. And if this is the state of policing in this country, I don't think it is, we would be in deep trouble. Do you think, and I don't say this, I had to clarify this a couple of times this week, I'm not saying anything in this next question to indicate that I think that this would alleviate any of the guilt on these officers, but I think some of us feel like there's something missing from this equation, that it was a traffic stop that led to this level of, you know, these guys wailing on the dude. It doesn't make sense, does it? Well, there is much we don't know, and that's a very important point. There are gaps in the video. If he was speeding the wrong way, down the street, if he'd led them on a car chase, officers get very pumped up. We don't know if before the video began, he had been violently resisting arrest. Uh, you know, one of an officer says he tries to grab his gun. I would say, you know, there's rules of evidence that a statement like that, made in the heat of the moment, has more credibility. Uh, if these officers were not thinking about the fact that they were being videoed on this, I don't think they would then be thinking about, well, let's plant some phony evidence to give us justification. So we also don't know the the autopsy has not been released. Why is that? The official autopsy, did he have drugs in his system? Was that a contributing factor in his death? Uh, so, you know, there are things that we don't know. We the, the indictments seem very broad. I don't know if they're, you know, tailored actually to each individual officer. Uh, but but for now, 
it does look like, you know, I always criticize a suspect for resisting or for running. But from what we've seen in this first video, I really don't blame Mr. Nichols yeah. for taking off because those officers seem like they're absolute maniacs. Absolutely. And, and here's what's interesting to me. In, in this, we, You are someone, and I'm certainly in this group too, you take all these cases individually. You look at the facts, you look at what comes before us. And I, you know, I know that the reaction probably would have been very different if it was white officers. But I also think that the reaction on the part of a lot of people like you and I would have been, yeah, this is still wrong. You, you have groups out there, Heather, as you know, that call for investigations that happen here with Mike Brown and Darren Wilson and Ferguson when there are not crimes committed because they want some sort of action or they want justice. In this case, we're on the path toward justice, right? Right. And, and you know, we, we need to look at the individual case, but we also need to look at the broad data. And the broad data completely rebuts uh, President Biden's ubiquitous, frequent ad nauseum claim about blacks experiencing trauma and pain, and, and he didn't say at this time death, but he does often every on a single uh, every single day from police officers. That's just not the case. Uh, in in 2021 or 2022, rather, there were seven unarmed, allegedly unarmed blacks killed by the police over the entire year. I say allegedly because that figure comes from the Washington Post database of, of fatal police shootings, and they, the Post does everything it can to pump up the number of unarmed. So it'll include somebody trying to grab an officer's gun as unarmed, which is really not the way the officer experiences that. But seven out of a, a, a homicide population of blacks that in 2020 was 10,000, and it was probably pretty close to that, in 2022 and out of a black population of 44 million if you look at the rate at which police officers are killed by black males a police officer is 400 times as likely to be killed by a black male as an unarmed black is to be killed by a police officer so the 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 data and the reality of policing is the exact opposite of what the Black Lives Matter activists tell us. The real threat in the black community, those 10,000 or so dead black bodies every year, is not from the police. It's not from whites. It's from other blacks. Blacks die of homicide between the ages, gun homicide between the ages of 10 and 24 at 25 times the rate of whites. And again, that's because blacks commit gun homicide at 25 times the rate of whites between the ages of 10 and 24. That's the problem. Police are the solution. They are not the problem. And then what happens is, and I chronicle this on a regular basis here in St. Louis, sadly, because it happens far too often with um, young black men dying and kids that are dying. You highlighted, I think you even mentioned this on Fox the other night, that there was someone, uh, a little two-month-old kid that was in critical condition from a shooting in Baltimore, right? Right. I mean, this is just constant. The, the shooting in Baltimore, a, a two-month-old and a, and a two-year-old, this was a twist on the usual just, you know, blowing a toddler's brains out in these barbaric drive-by shootings. In this case, there was a shooting that broke out outside of a store in West Baltimore, and a mother was in her car with these two young children and tried to drive away. It was the mother who was shot. She crashed into a pole. 
Uh, her two children are now on, in critical condition with brain trauma from the crash, and then the mother died two days later. And in this same shootout, there was a a man who was a 46 year old man who was fatally shot to death at the scene, and another 64 year old man man who was injured in the sh- in the sh- in the shootout. So, but but as far as kids being shot directly, that happens all the time too, and. You know, Benjamin Crump, the the ubiquitous uh, civil rights agitator, provocateur, and and Al Sharpton went to uh, Minneapolis on the one-year anniversary of the George Floyd death, and they stayed completely away from a hospital in North Minneapolis where a 9-year-old and a 10-year-old were on life support, having both been blown out in their brains. The girl, the 10-year-old girl died a few days later, and the boy is, is going to be paralyzed for life, and no witnesses have come forward. It's the usual no-snitch ethic. Right, right. And, of course, they weren't killed by cops. They were killed by black gangbangers. Well, and then where does this leave us with the state of policing? You know, this is a disaster here in St. Louis. And I just get this from a from a cop today um, that says the city is on track to lose 192 police this year. A guy just resigned with 15 years on the force to go work at the QT, which is a convenience store chain in the area here, making a fair amount of money doing that. So I don't see with with the focus on police that the legacy media gives with the numbers that you have to correct heather on a regular basis which are the facts how do you get back on track with having even men and women who want to do this for a living you don't with this narrative you don't it's going to be so much worse you know i i talked about the ferguson effect after the michael brown shooting where you had officers demoralized you had depolicing and the resulting emboldening of criminal criminals the george floyd effect was even worse the 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 demoralization of cops now following the George Floyd elite hysteria over systemic racism has has turned into a recruiting and retention crisis, and this is only going to worsen it. And then it's made even worse by the the police forces are way down. Officers don't have backup. They're working overtime. They're stressed out. And then you have this pressure coming from the Obama administration, from the Biden administration, this is going on forever, to diversify forces. Um, They're already lowering standards, but they're going to lower them even further. Diversity hiring has always resulted in worse officer behavior, corruption scandals, because it, it, it tends to come about through getting rid of criminal background checks, lowering educational requirements. And so it's the whole state of policing, it's going to become a vicious cycle. We're going to be hiring, if we can hire at all, even less qualified officers who will be more likely to engage in so-called threat misperception, which is when you mistake a cell phone for a gun and possibly use brutal force because they don't know how to control their emotions or retain their their training. That will lead to further calls, claims of, of police racism, further backing off, further flight from the profession. And the result, as always, will be more black lives lost. And I'm guessing that that you write a lot about that in the book. Let me segue into that. I'd love to have you back in more um, just to focus on the book. It comes out, I think, for pre-order Monday, When Race Trumps Merit, How the Pursuit of Equity Sacrifices Excellent, Destroys Beauty, and Threatens Lives. What else do you want to say about the book? And we hopefully have you back when it comes out. 
Well, I mean, everything that you're seeing now in the criminal justice system since post-George Floyd is explained in this book. We are unwinding every behavioral and meritocratic standard because those standards do have a disparate impact on blacks, not because those standards are racist, but because there are academic skills and behavior gaps. And so if you want to understand why prosecutors are not prosecuting, police are not policing, judges are not incarcerating, it's all because of disparate impact. And the only allowable explanation for racial disparities in an institution today, thanks to the elites, is racism. I provide the alternative explanation. The reason for racial disparities is not racism. I give the data on the academic skills gap, on the crime gap, because unless we can speak honestly about that and rebut the left's racism narrative, every American institution is going to be torn down. And we are, we are tearing down civilization right before our eyes on a daily basis. Well, thank God you have the courage and always have to say it. Heather McDonald with Race Trump's Merit, the book you can pre-order it on Monday. Thank you so much, Heather. It's always great to have you on for speaking the Thanks truth. Thanks so much, Mark. All right, take thank care. You. Thank That's you. Heather McDonald. She does great. It sounded like she was doing the dishes a little bit in the background. I think she, she was making dinner. But, right. yeah, hey, she speaks I, remarkably well while doing that. She just nails it every yes. time. And she doesn't back down, which is what I love. I can't wait, wait to read the book. Uh, one of those guys running in the AG's race in 2024, Will Scharf, will join me coming up at 525 on 97.1 FM Talk. So that's coming up in the next hour right here. Let's talk about the state of journalism. You know, I um, I started, we, we had to do this. Did you do this video that, that Anna had us do, the yeah, sales department? They I asked did us it earlier. To, yeah, I thought I saw you. Um, you're, you look a lot better than I did in, in, in my video because you wore nice clothing. But they asked us to answer a few questions, and I think they're going to use it as a bit of a sales tool. And they said, you know, what, what, how'd you get in radio, right? So I, I don't know. How did you get into radio, Sue? Let me well, ask you that question. Uh, I graduated from college with a communication degree, and I thought, all right, let's do PR for a little while. And I yeah. thought, I don't yeah. think I, I think I'd rather. So I went back to, back to the broadcast center. You saved your soul. And saved my soul. There you go. So I was just, you know, a kid listening to music in the 70s and putting headphones on, thinking I wanted to be a disc jockey. And then in the 80s, when I was here, the early 80s at Parkway West, my dad's like, okay, you can do this radio thing, but you have to go to college. And then Mizzou became a no-brainer because at that point, you just had to live in the state, essentially, and you get in. And I went to J school. Now, you did have to get the 3.0 to get into journalism school. And somehow, mm. I don't even know how I did this. I, uh, I managed to do that. But one of the things that always happens with people that go into journalism, they ask the reason, why did you go into journalism? It's a little different question than why did you go into radio, right? Why did you want to be a journalist? And- 90% of the time, and I've never been able to figure this out, which is maybe why I'm not a journalist anymore, they say, because I wanted to change the world. I wanted oh, to make a see, difference. that's not what that I is. I was never motivated by that, uh -uh. because I don't think I can change the world. I just wanted to, basically, I love talking about things that are interesting, hopefully, to people and informing. So, in the 80s, I didn't even know where this was going to take me. I didn't think about talk radio. I was doing music radio and then news anchoring and news reporting at KOMU in Columbia. But Leonard Downey is a guy who's a former executive editor of the Washington Post, and he is a professor at another one of the esteemed J schools in the country, the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism and Mass Communication at Arizona State University. He wrote a piece in the Washington Post that is horrifying to me today, but it's really just stating the obvious. And he writes um, about journalism and the state of where we are and he addresses the issue of objectivity. And I guess I've, I've explained my, um, my early days as a journalist this way. When there was a huge Senate campaign, monster Senate campaign, 1986, Kit Bond 
and Harriet Woods, who was the lieutenant governor. Um, back then, there were two people that were assigned to cover those particular campaigns. And I, I was lucky to be one of them. And my news director, John Quarter at the time, assigned me to the Harriet Woods campaign because he knew where my politics were at the time. I was mm-hmm. not shy about my politics. And he called me the YR, the young Republican. And he said, I don't want you covering. He thought I would go too easy on Kit Bond if I'm covering. Oh, so I for see. the sake of objectivity, oh, well, that's he smart. felt like covering Harriet Woods was better. And I, and I went with that. But so anyway, Leonard Downey writes this piece. He goes, amid all the profound challenges and the changes roiling the American news media today, newsrooms are debating whether traditional objectivity should still be the standard for news reporting. Quote, unquote, objectivity is defined by most dictionaries as expressing or using facts without distortion by personal beliefs, bias, feelings, or prejudice. Journalistic objectivity has generally generally understood to mean the same thing, right? But he says, increasingly, reporters, editors, and media critics argue that the concept of journalistic objectivity is a distortion of reality. They point out that the standard was dictated. I I think some people can see this happening. Okay, guess where I'm going to go with this or guess where he's going to go. You you want to take a stab at it? No, just tell me. It's race. It's race. They point out that the standard was dictated over decades by male editors in predominantly white newsrooms and reinforced their own view of the world. They believe that pursuing objectivity can lead to false balance or misleading both sideism. Now, you wouldn't want to tell the other side of the story. Let me tell you something. In covering stories about race, the treatment of women, LGBTQ plus rights, LMNOP, income inequality, climate change, and many other subjects. And in today's diversifying newsrooms, they feel it negates many of their own identities, life experiences, and cultural contexts, keeping them from pursuing truth in their work, which makes me want to throw up truth in their work. It's a bunch of nonsense. So he goes on with blah, 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 all this nonsense. And then he gets into um, what they did here. Hang on, i got to find this part because he wrote about it, and I think I lost my place because this article is very long. So what they did was is he got together with uh, – uh, gosh darn it, Sue, I thought I did a screen capture. Oh, no. That. Hang on. No, I'm going to find it here. All right. Um, he says, to better understand the changes happening now, I and former CBS News president Andy Hayward, a colleague at Arizona State, um, investigated the values and practices in mainstream newsrooms today with a grant from the Stanton Foundation. What we found has convinced us that truth-seeking news media must move beyond whatever objectivity, and that's in quotes, what? once meant to produce more trustworthy news. We interviewed more than 75 news leaders, journalists... <laughs> and other experts in mainstream print, broadcast, and digital news media, many of whom also advocate such a change. This appears to be the beginning of another generational shift in American journalism. Oh, come on. Among Well, this gets worse. I'm just going to tell you right now. Among the news leaders who told Hayward and me that they had rejected objectivity was Kathleen Carroll, former executive editor of the AP. It's objective by whose standard, she asked. The standard seems to be white, educated, fairly wealthy. And when people don't like, they find themselves in news coverage and people don't find, uh, don't feel like they find themselves in news coverage is because they don't fit that definition. So he says in his piece, more and more journalists of color and younger white reporters, including LGBTQIA, elemental P plus people in increasingly diverse newsrooms, believe the concept of objectivity has prevented truly accurate reporting informed by their own backgrounds, experiences, and point of view. The thing I like about this column is at least he's honest about the bias. And I've had to, this is part of my lifeblood, ladies and gentlemen, and if you've listened to this show for a long time, you know that, that I'm so sick of the 
the omission that occurs, okay? Because a lot of this is omission, the truth. You're so full of absolute S-you-know-what. Because you can take any issue. Climate change is a great issue right now. Do you know that last year was cooler on average than 1986 in this country? I do. The numbers are quite staggering. What happened to climate change and global warming? Well, that's just a blip, right? They get this wrong time and time again. And they get it wrong to the point where they say, we're going to shut down any conversation to the contrary, right? Guns, that's another issue. Abortion, you're never going to see another side of it. You won't see someone who is pro-life represented in the media with these standards, right? Taxes, you never talk to people who are truly affected by taxes, you want to do stories on the people who don't pay taxes, right? You want to focus, this is what happens in in journalism, right? Focus on all the people who are sucking off the government who don't pay taxes, right? Now, I understand there's true poverty, there's people that are hard on their luck, and maybe not everyone can lift themselves up from the bootstraps. But you know what? This country was founded on different principles, and Guys like Mr. Gillespie and others, they don't like those principles anymore. They want us to go in a different direction. Let's look at what happened with, um, well, with the crime issue. It's a perfect example. You can talk about Mike Brown. The, the journalist that he's describing, right, the journalism that he wants this country to have is exactly what did happen when Mike Brown shot Darren Wilson. Or I'm sorry, when Darren Wilson shot Mike Brown. Because what happened there is all objectivity went out the windows completely. There was nothing of that. All it was was inflaming race tensions and trying to get social justice. It happened with George Floyd. It happened in the aftermath of George Floyd with Kyle Rittenhouse when the media decided that there was a narrative that they wanted to push. It happened with Brett Kavanaugh. It happened with Covington Catholic. They push. There's not truth. I'd love for somebody, anybody to challenge this idiot who is an esteemed leader in journalism, to say, you're talking about these reporters because of their own experiences and because they're guilty that they're white. The young white kids are guilty that they're white. That they're actually going to put truth forward in their publications? Uh, we're on to you. And we know that that's not the case. Get more at 971talk.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 